Fantastic. If you've got your Bibles, do you want to just turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 1? And we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 17. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. It'll be coming up on the screen in front of you as well. I'm quite loud. Can I just be turned down just a, just a touch? Great. Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 17. The book of the genealogy of Christ Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jerome, and Jerome the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Oh, this was the hard one. Sheatiel, and Sheatiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abidud, Abidud, and Abidud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations of Abraham to David were 14, all were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This morning we are uh, continuing our series in uh, Matthew uh, chapters 1 to 4. Now Matthew is a, is, a, is a long book, one of the longer books in the New Testament, and we're going to take our time going through uh, Matthew. It's uh, Matthew's account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and his teachings. Um, and we don't want to rush through it. It is full of some incredible truths. Uh, we are going to be taking our time as we come through it um, and hearing the words of Jesus and with every expectation that we're going to meet with him as we do so. Uh, last week we began our series by introducing uh, some of the major themes that Matthew wants to highlight to us as we go through uh, the story as in Matthew's telling of it. Uh, we, the, the, those two themes are the king and his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven and following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus. Those are the two things that we're going to see again and again as we come through Matthew's Gospel. And last week, uh, 
Clive uh, began to open uh, up with us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, uh, and he kind of shared a number of stories and some examples of what that looks like and some examples of what that looks like in Matthew's Gospel. And as he took us through that, we saw that two things really come out as we, we take on this following Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And one of those things is we, the, those who follow Jesus are called to live lives like he lived. We're called to be obedient to, uh, to his commands. To live as Jesus would have them live. The other thing we see is that as we're called to be followers of Jesus is we are called to go and make disciples ourselves. You know, after being with Jesus for three years, the disciples are then told Jesus' final words to them in, in his life of ministry on earth. He says, go now, make disciples of every nation. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he, and he pours and he gives them this command, doesn't he? So, and so being a disciple of Jesus looks like obeying Jesus, both in, in, in the life and works of, of, of his, as following his commands and his teaching, but it also looks like going and calling others to do the same. It's not a surprise when Jesus' disciples get, first received this command uh, in, in Matthew 28, because actually it's not when they first received it. As they've been with Jesus over those three years, and as we'll see as we come through the book of Matthew, they have been doing this very work of calling others to come and to know Jesus, to know this king and this kingdom. And so as followers of Jesus, we're not called to receive only. You know, some people think of their, their walk with God as being a, just a personal thing. It's just me and my God and, and it's just about me and I, I receive and I go to the best teachers and I go, go to the places where I'm going to get the best worship services and I go to the things that are going to give me something to think about, give me something to chew on. No, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are receiving absolutely. But you are also called to go and make other followers, to bring other people into knowing Jesus, to obey and to tell others. Now last week, um, we introduced this thing, and some of us weren't here, but last week we, we introduced this piece of paper. How many of you weren't here last week? Well, what we did, I'll just, I'll give you a If you've not, if you've not uh, done this already, keep your hand up. What we did last week was we, we just took a simple piece of paper that kind of highlights these two things it's two parts of what it means to follow Jesus. And we just drew a line down the middle and we wrote on one side, following Jesus. And we wrote on the other, telling others. And we made the decision last week that what we were going to do over the course of this series is we were going to uh, keep this sheet of paper and make, making notes as we received from Jesus himself as we went through Matthew's Gospel. We would be writing down on this side, what does it look like for me to be a follower of Jesus? What are some of the things that Jesus is telling me that I need to do? And kind of those, those, those works of obedience, as Jesus talks to us about giving, about loving one another, about forgiving, about uh, coming to know him, about being embedded in the word, about obedience. We were going to write down all those ways that the Lord was speaking to us uh, there. And, and we were going to continue to come back to those and see, look, how am I doing? 
How am, am, am I being challenged? Am I, am I walking in these ways? Am I being obedient to what God is calling me to? And then on the other side, uh, under telling others, we were going to write down the names and the places where we wanted to be obedient in following Jesus in making disciples ourselves. And so we wrote down, sometimes we wrote down a list of maybe names of people in our family we wanted to tell about Jesus. Maybe people that we knew at work. Or maybe settings that we, we knew we wanted to be better at telling others. So maybe it was our place of work. Maybe it was where we're studying. Maybe our homes. Uh, maybe on our streets, our neighbours. But, but throughout our series, we wanted to keep coming back to this sheet of paper. And, 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 and doing that as part of our small groups. Uh, with friends as well. And our, on, on Sunday mornings. Just be thinking... Okay, Lord, I want, I want to be obedient to what I'm hearing. This is what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, isn't he? That's where he says, you know, if you hear my words and do nothing, you're like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. It's like, come on, if you've, if you've heard my words, go and build on them. Go and build your house on rock. And so what we want to do is we want to be not just hearers of the words, but doers as well. And so we want to take this seriously. And so, so this is something not just for us to pray through, although we do want to do it prayerfully, but something for us to action as well. And so we're going to keep coming back to this um, again and again next time. I want to do it, and, and the reason we want to do that publicly is we want to have it with a sense of accountability. That we kind of we share this task with one another and we want to be accountable. And so, so those things, our actioning of it, and those key themes of following Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, and being a follower of Jesus, meaning telling others and living it, um, are all things that we want to keep in our head and at the forefront of our minds as we come through Matthew's Gospel. We don't want to do this as though we're just hearing stories. Oh, the stories are wonderful. Um, we want to come and we want to hear these things and we want to apply them, we want to do things with them. Now, now we've split Matthew's uh, Gospel into uh, several different chunks and we're going to be doing uh, a number of series through Matthew's Gospel. We're going to, as I say, we're going to take our time in Matthew's Gospel um, these first four chapters that we've made part one of Matthew's Gospel, that picture, by the way, you can't see it uh, very well, but that picture has been done by David. David is, is something of an artist, and so if you want that, to see that picture in full, then go and chat to him, and it will be going online as well, along with our sermon series. But he's, very, he's been very kind to let us use it as part of our uh, series. But uh, yes, yeah, so, so as we've called it uh, part one, chapters one to four, really Matthew, what, what Matthew is trying to do in these first four chapters is answer the question, who is Jesus? Uh, the, the, the fancy word for it, if you're a theologian, is he is giving us his Christology. Right? Who, is, who is the Christ? Who is the Messiah? Who is he? And Matthew is wanting to answer that question. So again and again, throughout these first four chapters, Matthew is going to be pointing to us to not just clues, but clear signs as to who Jesus is. You know, the disciples, when they're first getting to know Jesus, they, they're working out, who is this guy? Is he, is he, the, he might be the Messiah. Maybe, maybe this is the one that we've been waiting for. Matthew doesn't want us to wait long before we know who Jesus is. In fact, he, in, even in these first the first, very first verse, that first sentence, Matthew is answering all those questions. Who is this book about? Now, I'm aware that as I was reading that passage, it's quite a hard passage to read. It's quite a hard passage to read out loud, but it's a hard passage just to read anyway, because it's just a list of names, it seems to be. Now, there are a lot of passages 
like this in the Bible, aren't there? You know, what, what on earth am I meant to do with this? It's just a list of names. I, like, how is this meant to serve me? Uh, what on earth am I meant to get out of this? And so it's very easy uh, in Matthew's Gospel when we come to this and in other places in the Bible to want to rush past uh, these kind of passages to the bits where things are actually happening, bits where I can actually understand what I'm meant to do with it, maybe to the commands or to the stories. I just want to get to the bit where Jesus is doing something, right? So I'm going to rush past all this list of names. And we can forget that, as Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? That's what we want. We want we've got a big call here as Freedom Church. We've got good works for us to do. That's Ephesians. You know, we have good works that we've been made for in North Hull. Things that have been, we have been tailor-made to do here in North Hull. Each of us. Neil, you've been tailor-made for, a good, for good work in North Hull. Paul, you have been tailor-made for good works in North Hull. Margaret, you have been tailor-made by God to do good works for him in North Hull and to the ends of the earth. And, and, and so if we're going to be equipped to do these things, we need to receive Scripture. And the promise over Scripture is that all of it works that into us. All of it is for our good, to correct us, to train us, so that we, the servants of God, may be thoroughly equipped. And what is more, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit who comes and reveals truth to us as we do the very, very practical work of reading and thinking. And so we need to come to this passage as strange an introduction to an amazing story as it might be, with the expectation that God is going to reveal himself to us through it, and that he is going to use it to transform us. And we do that by asking ourselves the question, what is Matthew trying to teach us through, through this passage? What is Matthew trying to show us? through this passage and what is God trying to reveal of himself through his, this passage because actually let's say it's an odd one because probably if we were telling the story of Jesus if you were commissioned right okay you're going to now go and write the story of Jesus to give to other people we probably wouldn't start by telling everybody who his great great grandfather was right it's just not where we would go and yet Matthew is very very keen to start there why well, he starts, actually, verse 1, by giving us the title of the book. Right? The title of the book that he's writing. This whole uh, gospel that we call Matthew, Matthew is given a title. And he calls it this, the book of the genealogy. Now, that word genealogy, actually, in the Greek, is uh, Genesis. Literally, Genesis. The, the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's what Matthew calls his gospel. This is the book of the new beginning. That's what Genesis means. The book of the new beginning of, that is brought by Jesus Christ, who is the son of David and the son of Abraham. Genesis is a new beginning. Matthew is, is taking us back to that very first book of the Bible, the, 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 where, where God creates the heavens and the earth. And he uses that to say, there is something happening right now as Jesus appears on earth. That is, that is like the, that first creation. It is as monumental as that. It is as big a deal as that. Something big is going to happen. 
Jesus is going to come and he's going to make something totally new. He's going to bring something totally new. Here, says Matthew, is a moment as significant as the creation of the world. In fact, as we'll see, Matthew is saying this is the pinnacle of world history. It is a new beginning for an old and tired world. A world that has suffered, as we've seen in the news. A world that has been, been waiting to be renewed. Matthew says, here is the new beginning. Here is the new creation. And it is the creation that is brought by Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, why does Matthew call Jesus, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Well, if we know those stories, as, as the readers of Matthew would have done, we'd know that, that both David and Abraham are the two figures in the Old Testament who get given these, the, the great and monumental promises uh, of, of, a, of someone who's going to come and who's going to work wonders in the world. Right? So David... David, king of Israel, he is, he is the second of the kings of Israel. He is, uh, he is the one who really leads Israel into their golden age. He is their great king who, who wins great victories over their enemies. He's the great king who brings in great wealth and great riches. So that his son Solomon enjoys that. But he's the one who, who wins these battles and, and does these things. And, and so all of Israel look back fondly to that day, oh, oh, if only we had a king like David again. Oh, if only we had a king like David again. David receives this promise from God. David, who, who longs to build a great temple for the Lord, uh, God responds to him by saying this, I will raise up, this is 1 Chronicles 17, and I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be with him. I will be to him a father, and he will, shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from the one who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. The history of Israel is littered with kings who failed and faltered who turned away from God. And even the successful kings who turned to God failed. Even David failed. It comes up in the, the, uh, the genealogy, actually. David fails terribly. He takes, takes somebody else's wife. Murders somebody. Has their wife. David, this great king, fails. God's promise to David is there is going to be one who will be like a son to me. He will be a son of yours, but he will be my son. And he's going to reign forever. He's going to bring a kingdom that will last forever. I will establish him. And he will reign in justice and in peace for all time. And so this is one of the promises that Israel is carrying. One day there's going to be a king who is going to be of the line of David. Who is going to reign in peace and in justice forever. Lord, bring him. Bring him. And Abraham too received the promise about offspring. Abraham gets the promise in Genesis, it comes up in uh, Genesis 18, 22 and 26. Uh, Abraham receives this promise. From your offspring, I will bless all the nations of the world. Through your offspring, 
I will bless all the nations of the earth. And Matthew here is, is as he says, this is, the, this is the Genesis, this is the new beginning brought by Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is banging all the gongs. He's saying, here he is. Here's the one who's going to fulfill these promises. Here is the offspring of Abraham who's going to bless the nations. Here is the, the son of David who is going to reign forever as king over a kingdom. Here is he. Here is the one who is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Here in Jesus we see most clearly the truth of Numbers, uh, what is it, Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he promised and he will not do? Has he, has he spoken and he will not fulfill? No. God keeps his promises. And Matthew is saying, here he is. Here is the one in whom Jesus, here he is, the one that God has chosen to fulfill his promises through. It is in Jesus that these incredible promises come together and are fulfilled. There's that song that we sing at Christmas, isn't there? A little town of Bethlehem. That one line, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I love that. All of these hopes and fears, these longings, these pains, these aches, these, these promises that have been as yet unfulfilled, they come together in this moment in Bethlehem, in a, in a dirty manger, a baby. And in him, all of the things, all of those longings, all of those promises are fulfilled. How will God rescue the earth? How will God bless the nations? How will God reveal and bring about his kingdom? It will be through the person of Jesus. And Matthew's going to make that point again and again as we come through his gospel, particularly these first four chapters. He's going to be bringing in these promises, these prophecies of the Old Testament and pointing to them and saying, look, Jesus fulfills this one too. He fulfills that one as well, and that one, and that one, and that one. And sometimes these these promises, they look like, how on earth can one person fulfill all these things? How can he be from uh, Bethlehem and from Nazareth Nazareth and from Egypt? How can all of these things be true? As we see the story unfold, Matthew says, see, it's true. this one's true of him as well. This one's true of him as well. Again and again, he wants to point to how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Now, as the people of God, the church, we should take courage from this uh, as we look to the promises that we've been given. You know, as the people of God, the, the church, we, we're told that God is with us. Right? We, we know that God fulfills his promises. We know that God is with us. We know that he's working in us to perfect us. I'm confident that he who began this work in you is going to bring it back to completion. Right? We believe that. Why? Because we've seen the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus. We know that God is a God who keeps his promises. We know that he's promised to build his church. And so we can be confident of that. We know that he has promised to work his power through us by his Holy Spirit. In great works and wonders and in wonderful salvation. We can be so confident in that because, again, we've seen him fulfill these things in Jesus. And then particularly for us as Freedom Church, there are promises that we carry. It was wonderful. um, A year ago, as we were praying out of Jubilee, uh, we received numbers of prayers and prophecies from friends right across the world. South Africa, um, uh, from uh, Utrecht, from... uh, 
elsewhere in the UK, uh, from, from friends in the States. We had a number of prayers and prophecies that came to us. Um, and, and actually, it was great fun, actually, this morning, the early hours this morning, as I was um, enjoying the hours that I get given in the morning by my son. Um, I, was, I went back and I listened to some of these uh, prophecies that we were given, these promises, um, prayers, and I was so encouraged. I would, I would encourage you, they're online, I'll, I can get the link to anybody who would ask for it, but I would encourage you, go away and listen to them again, and, and hear them, and receive them, and be challenged by them. But, but these promises, they include things like, you know, he's going to use us to bless and transform this city. He's going to use Freedom Church to bring freedom and righteousness and release and blessing to Hull. And he's going to use us to do the same, to reach the ends of the earth. We're going to send many people into the nations. It feels like we're holding promises that dwarf us. And yet, we can be faith. We can be full of faith because we know that God is faithful to keep his promises. We've seen it in Jesus. We've promised multiplication. Multiplication of, of gifting. Multiplication of, of, of strength. Multiplication of church planting. Right? These are promises that we carry. And in all these things, we are, to, we are called to continue to look to Jesus. Why? Well, because in him, says Matthew, all the promises of God are fulfilled. Paul says, it is in Jesus that all of God's promises are yes and amen. That's Paul to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. And so we're not to look anywhere else. We're not to look for someone else or something else to come and to fulfill these promises or bring us satisfaction. No, Jesus is God's full and final solution. We aren't waiting for anything else. So Jesus is, is the fulfillment of promise, as we've seen. He's the fulfillment of the promise of David and, and of Abraham. He's the fulfillment of all promises. But also, says Matthew in, these opening, in this opening passage, he is the fulfillment of history. Not only do we see God sovereignly keeping his promises in Jesus, we see as as. Matthew un- unpacks this genealogy, this family, this great family tree, we see that God was always keeping them. Right? This isn't a sudden twist, a sudden turn. This is, this is God was always fulfilling his promise. Throughout history, God has been weaving things together so as to bring them so that in the fullness of time, says, says Paul to the Galatians, in the fullness of time, God set forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, to bring them freedom, to bring them life, so that we might receive adoptions as son. He sent his son in the fullness of time to bring us into this family tree. And what's amazing is, is that God was at work through all of human history. Actually, Matthew kind of uses this, this wonky N, if you imagine it this way. He uses this wonky N to sort of tell the story of history. Right, so starting here, uh, here is Abraham, and he says, and then there was this upward trajectory, Abraham's King David, wow, what an amazing story that was, it just looked like the promises of God were being fulfilled and fulfilled and fulfilled as, as Israel grew and were released from slavery, and then finally here is this King David on his throne forever, amazing, and then suddenly there is this downward trajectory, as, as Solomon takes over, and Solomon's sin leads to uh, the division of the kingdom and, and one simple ruler after another after another and occasionally they're okay but overall there's this downward trajectory until Israel is sent into uh, exile in Babylon and then again 
Matthew says, here is the next upward thing. It goes up and up and up until Jesus arrives finally, and here is the fulfillment. And so that is Matthew's telling of the story of Israel, this great end, as it were, of this up and down. And yet he says, through all, God was sovereign. Through all, even those bits that look like horrible messes, God was sovereign and he was working all things together to bring about his sovereign purposes in history. That is encouraging today as we look at the news, as we look at what's going on in Ukraine with Russia and you think, God, what is going on? God says, I am sovereign over all of human history. I rule over all things and no one, no one will have the final word but me. I rule over all history, says God. And that is encouraging to know. But what's amazing is it's not just the big scale stuff. It's also throughout history, God has been reigning and ruling and weaving things together on the small scale too. So actually when you look at this list of names, you see some surprising people in there. You think, what? God God is going to use that to bring about his salvation? God is going to use this messy, mucky person to bring about his purposes? Yes, yes, he is actually. <laughs> it's interesting. Actually, all of the, um, you know, celebrating Mother's Day um, today, and kind of the. Sometimes you can sort of have this rosy picture of what a mother is, and this this, this beautiful idea. You know, all of the uh, w- women don't tend to make uh, genealogies in, in the ancient world. All the people that um, Matthew includes, all the women that Matthew includes, have some kind of dodgy story attached to them, right? I mean, all of them are commended in the end. All of them are, are, are sort of held up as, as examples at one point or other, um, uh, except for perhaps Uzziah's wife, who's, who's mentioned passively, not named here. But, um, but all the named women in, in, the, in this account are, are, are sort of redeemed and rescued. So Tamar has this strange story attached to her where she, she, the son that she bears in this, in this story in this, that we see here is... is is by her father-in-law. Her father-in-law is the, is the father of her child who makes it into this genealogy. You think, wow, what God? You're gonna include that in, in your son's genealogy? You're gonna include that in the story of salvation? God says, yes, I am. Same with, uh, uh, sorry, um, Rahab. Rahab, whose story we've heard here um, as we went through our final series, our last series. Rahab, the, uh, who was a prostitute in uh, Jericho, she gets wonderfully rescued from that story and that mess. And she too makes it into this, this, this story of, the, of how God is going to work out salvation in, in history. She makes it in. David, that terrible blunder, that horrible mistake, murder and, and adultery, that makes it into the story too. It is the, 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 the child of that story who, who becomes um, uh, king after David. And, and so nobody, nobody can look at this and say, God can't use my life. Matthew's making this point. Nobody can look at this genealogy and say, God can't use me. God can't use my life. No, Matthew's saying, look, look what God has done in history. Look what God has done with these people's lives, as messy and as mucked up as they were. He has used them to bring about the glorious gospel that we now preach. He has used 
them. Through it all, says Matthew, Jesus has been the fulfilment of prophecy. Here he is. As I said, here he is, the one who is, who is the, the fulfilment of all prophecy, all the promises of God. And here he is, the one who, who, who is the, at the centre of history. The one that all the world has been longing for. What is this world about, some people ask. It's one of the things that we do our Alpha course. It's kind of, that we, uh, one of the first folks address is, is there more to life than this? Matthew's saying, here he is, at the centre of history, at the centre of the whole story of this world, Jesus. This is, this is the fulfilment of it all. And you can't make sense of any of this story, of any history, of any of the things that are going on in the world unless you see him for who he is. Matthew is there, as I say, banging the gong. Here he is. So it leaves us looking forward to seeing what is he going to do now? Here is the one who has come to bring the kingdom of God. Here is the one who has come to, to call people who are lost and rejected. Here is the one who's going to rule over all things for all time. That's what comes out in the, the Abraham thing, isn't it? Abraham's promise is there's going to be one who's going to bless all the nations. David's promise is there's going to be one who's going to rule for all time. So Jesus reigns over all people for all time, for their good, for their blessing. Matthew says, now watch what he's going to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come through this series, as we look to this son of yours, this is the son, Jesus, son of God, we, we, we want to come with expectation, expectation that we're going to see these promises fulfilled in, in, in him, in you, Lord. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we, as we come through this series, you would speak to us powerfully. Lord, that we would look to you to, to see the fulfilment of all of these promises that we hold. That we wouldn't look to anyone else. We would look to you, the one who, who reigns forever. As we look at the, our world history, as it currently unfolds before us, we want to be confident that you are the one who reigns confident that you're the one who is working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. God, we know we're called. God, we know we're called. Father, I pray that as we come through this gospel, this, this story of this new creation, this new genesis, God, that you would, you would be recreating us you would be recreating Hull. You'd be recreating this nation, Lord, that you'd speak to us through this gospel so as to, to change and transform and to challenge us. But also, Lord, as we, as we do this very simple, practical thing of coming back to the sheet of paper again and again, that we would see incredible transformation in our lives and in the lives of those people whose names we've written down there. Lord, I pray that we would see people saved and added to your church, that wonderful phrase in Acts. Lord, we want to see that. We want to see that. Lord, I thank you that what you came and you began to do, those things that we see as we see the story unfold, those miracles worked, those lives changed. Lord, I thank you that you call us to do that very work ourselves.
And so I pray right now for your power to come. Lord Jesus, I pray for your Holy Spirit power to proclaim, to declare and to live according to the words that you've given us. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.